Here at Another Not Guilty, we appreciate your support. Don't forget to subscribe or follow us. And please visit our website at anothernotguiltypod.com. Do you have a not guilty story you'd like to share with Angie listeners? Visit our website to submit your info to be a guest. Want to check out our updated new A&G merch? Another great reason to check out our website. That's anothernotguiltypod.com. Now, without further ado, here's this week's episode of Another Not Guilty. But so, you know, the DA walks the four person through kind of the facts as they want them to be. And like the fit for like the four person's got his charming Irish accent and he's so calm and he's making jokes and he's just this, you know, guy you would totally want to grab a beer with. And then all of a sudden I stand up and I'm out. I've, I've morphed into trial me, which is much nicer, right? Totally different voice different person and you can just see like all of a sudden it's like this dark cloud just descends over his face like he's just like this bitch is back oh great <laughs> like great welcome. welcome to another not guilty i'm david moore here along with my fellow public defenders presenting to you the untold stories of the criminal justice system objection that assumes there's justice in the system which there ain't i prefer calling it the american criminal system these stories are about the not guilty as public defenders get on a daily basis in an unjust criminal system with the deck stacked against us. Welcome to another not guilty. All right, welcome back everybody to another not guilty. It's your boy Davey D here, bringing you the freshest not guilties that this nation has to offer. Co-hosting with us today, guys, we have a special, special co-host she's a dope-ass public defender from san francisco you remember her from the previous episode we have alona back with us today alona how are you today doing well hanging in yeah dude that the dude you had such a great you know you were the star of our last episode the fans loved you i got all these emails they said they wanted to bring alona back and i was like um okay i'll bring her back as a co-host so here you guys go another not guilty world more alona alona thanks for being uh, a co-host on another not guilty thank you for having me it's good to be back yeah how's and how's and how's your client carlos doing you know he was charged with you know, he was brutalized by the police with a vindictive prosecutor you walked him and uh, and uh how's carlos today how do you how, how do you do since the trial well, I think he lasted, was it eight days, Martina? I think it was seven, so, seven or eight. He Whoa. was so happy. <laughs> he was so excited to get his not guilty that he went out and celebrated for about a week. And uh, then he picked up a new case. Holy smokes. Oh, my gosh. Is that why we have Martina here today as our as our special star on another <laughs> not guilty? <laughs> That's how I got the case. Martina, wait, were you on the coast? <laughs> you were coasting last time. And now you're back here as the guest of another not guilty. Excited to be back. But we also have uh, Matthew here today with us. And he's a. Uh... I second chaired uh, this, the trial with Martina. Um, All right. Last, last November or last November. November 2019. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So uh, we, we have Martina as our guest today. We still have Carlos as the client. Uh, and go ahead, Mar- Martina, pick it up where Alona left off. What what happened to Carlos? So Carlos, um, after, you know, a week of celebrating his big win in Alona's case, ended up 
um, picking up this attempt murder case. Now, everybody can kind of agree once you hear the facts that there was no universe in which this should have been an attempt murder. Um, you know, this this really was kind of what we talked about last time with that district attorney who just had it in for Carlos. Um, you know, clearly just a vengeance project. What did he exactly allegedly do? So for Carlos, they were alleging that he, you know, tried to murder these two people and it stemmed from Carlos opening his window throwing what can only be described as pebbles out of the window at a man who was standing on scaffolding and what turned out to be um you know it was it was largely just kind of bumping this guy with a rope but the way that the prosecution was spinning it you would think that he was you know strangling these like two people with this rope and that he was crawling up onto this four-story scaffolding and trying to push the people off. So just kind of wildly misconstruing the facts right off the bat. Is it is the report read from the perspective of the, the people on the scaffolding? Like, like, who are these people? What are they doing? And then why does Carlos supposedly throw pebbles or rocks at him? This is in a neighborhood in San Francisco, which is really kind of gentrified. And there's tons and tons of construction always going on to the older houses. So in the building next to his, and he's been in this building forever, um, rented it, doesn't own it, but he's been there for decades, I think since the 70s. So the building directly next to his, there's scaffolding and there's construction workers, and they're putting up the scaffolding and making just a ton of noise. And he's been celebrating, and I think he probably was a little hungover. So at nine, he opens the window and yells at them to stop, and then allegedly throws these rocks at them and makes some statements. You know, stories kind of varied as we found out over time. And then he runs down the stairs, comes outside, and then according to the DA, he grabs a rope and, and tries to strangle one of the painters. And that's basically the entirety of the whole incident. Maybe, you know, three to five minutes in total. So, all right. So he's next door is construction. He opens up a window because they're really, really loud. He throws rocks, says threatening statements. What did he say? So everybody kind of had a different story. Story changed over time. There was two different attorneys on this and it was, there was a dismiss and refile. Um, so we got a bunch of different statements, but it was something to the effect of, you know, stop making all that noise or I'll come up there and kill you. Um, you know, <laughs> threats about him coming up the scaffolding seem to be consistent in all the statements. Um, coming up the scaffolding? Not kill you was actually said or implied or inferred on the part of the painter. Um, that largely became an issue at trial. And then he so and then he runs down with a piece of rope and tries to strangle somebody. Well, no, he so he gets out of bed, goes downstairs, goes out the front door, um, and grabs the rope that the construction workers had brought with them. Okay. And that that fact that it was not something he grabbed from inside the house and was in fact their property was really important at trial. How many workers were working on this property, by the way? There was only two. So there was the one guy who was up on the scaffolding, and then there was the Irish, Boston kind of, you know, heavy accented four person. 
Okay. And they were kind of getting everything ready for other workers. Now the the four person begins he call he's the one that calls the cops. Okay. And that doesn't happen until after Carlos has walked away. What like did your client get arrested at some point? Oh yes. So he goes back into his own house after, you know, he allegedly tries to strangle the complaining witness, the Spanish speaking complaining witness. He then walks back into his own building, goes into his own building, and then when the police come, they're there for maybe 10 minutes or so talking to the two people, the two construction workers. And then they go, they try to get Carlos out of the house. He says some hilarious things to them, uh, which is all on the body-worn camera, you know, things to the effect of, like, you're going to fry, like, bacon, pigs, things like that. Um, clearly he's not a big fan of the police. He knows the police officers and they know him. They start really kind of just ramping everything up and, you know, their involvement, you can tell like most of our cases, they've got their own kind of agenda that since they do know Carlos is even more kind of pointed, but right. they start throwing attempted murder out there. They start talking about, you know, Carlos having gang ties. That's not true. There's no evidence of that. So they get involved and he never comes outside. He keeps telling them to go get a warrant and he's not going to come out. And then eventually they arrest him later that day. So, okay. So we have an attempted murder because uh, he threw rocks at some, what was the um, attempted murder when he threw a rock at someone on the scaffolding? But the maybe murder, they could the attempted murder was the rope around the neck that they alleged. And then was there criminal threats in the beginning as well? The criminal threats had been um, on the complaint ever since the first filing. In addition to the charges of attempted murder and criminal threats, Martina's client was also facing several charges of assault with a deadly weapon. All of those charges are considered strikes with potential prison sentences, and the attempted murder is a life charge. Because these are felony charges, the defendant has a right to a preliminary hearing where the prosecution has to present evidence for each charge to which the defendant will be held to answer for. However, if a judge improperly holds the defendant to answer for charges that weren't supported by the evidence during the preliminary hearing, then a defense attorney will file a 995 motion asking another judge to dismiss the unsupported charges. Oh, okay, okay. All right, so... Uh... Martina, can we talk about how the prelim went? So Roberto did the first preliminary hearing, and that time he, um, Carlos was held to answer on the attempted murder. When I took it over, Roberto was going on vacation, and he had already started working up the 995. The motion to dismiss the motion to dismiss the attempted murder charge, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, and we were also addressing the 245A1C assault with a deadly weapon because that also seemed overcharged. And so when I get it, um, you know, we're maybe three or so weeks away from trial. I'm brand new to the office, and um, I took over, was going to argue the motion in front of uh, one of the judges here who, you know, he's one of the judges that we actually kind of feel pretty good about. Um, not always on our side, but one of the, the judges that at least, like, listens to your argument, reads what you have to say. So, we were in a pretty good position to start out. Okay. And uh, and how did it go? How did the motion go? 
It went pretty well. Um, what I noticed in the preliminary hearing transcript was the ogre had really hammered home in his argument at the close of the preliminary hearing uh, about certain facts that actually were never testified to. So he's arguing that certain words were spoken, I'm going to kill you, and that those were being spoken while the rope was, you know, being pushed around. And so the, the judge at the preliminary hearing had really kind of focused on that. It was the combination of the words and the act for her. And so I kind of just chucked everything that was in the motion, and I just kept saying, like, hey, look, like, that ogre, he definitely pulled a fast one on the last judge. That was nowhere in the transcript. And so the judge that was here at the preliminary hearing was like, I mean, the, the 995 was like, yeah, you're right. That actually isn't in the transcript. Is this ogre the same ogre that was in Alona's trial? Yes, same, same one. Same prosecutor. And did was he present when the 995 was argued? He was still part of uh, the case at that point. So yes, he was none too pleased. We already were not each other's biggest fans <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so. so there's always ongoing issues and drama with, with the ogre, right? Always, always. And like, there's something for him that's super triggering about you know, younger, I don't want to say I'm not calling myself young by any means, but like, you know, women in general. And he just, it, it, it makes him crazy. Like he just ends up being so much more aggressive and irrational. It, I've never seen anything like it, quite frankly. I've never seen, you know, 12 years of doing this job. I have never seen anything like this man. Didn't um, he call you creepy? He said that the way I looked at him, shouted this out in a huge courtroom full of people. Um, because I had walked up to him when he was speaking with an officer, and I was pretty sure he was coaching the officer to lie. So I came over, and I was trying to stand and listen to what they were saying. We walk into the courtroom, and in, in a room full of people, he was like, she's looking at me with her creepy eyes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> How is this happening? Okay, so the 995 is argued. Uh, the, the judge tosses the the attempted murder, right? Right. And then the what about the two forty the assault deadly weapon charges? Do those stick? Everything else stands. The four twenty two as well. So the criminal threats as well as the assault with a deadly weapon as to the rocks and the rope that all sticks. Okay. And pretty quickly thereafter, we were sent out to trial. Okay. Now before we talk about the trial, though, I want to know is you know obviously at this point you've had a a chance to meet your, your client Carlos, right? Ah, uh, Alona actually went out with me to meet Carlos for the very first time. Yes, I did. I introduced Carlos and Martina at, at uh, San Francisco County Jail number now three, it used to be five, in San Bruno. Nah, okay, and, and tell us about that. How did that go? Well, um, Carlos is not one, how should I put it, to easily trust. So <laughs> there was a lot of... Um, combativeness as to the approach he really kind of justifiably felt like the whole system was against him and was pretty angry so you know i think as public defenders that's one of the things that we kind of are used to right clients who are frustrated frustrated with the system they kind of see you as part of it and you kind of have to earn their trust yeah he felt very persecuted he felt extremely persecuted by the ogre um did you know uh what your defense was going to be at this time yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes it's 
we have like kind of the sexier defenses, right? You know, like the self-defense or something where it's really clean and easy to explain. This was just kind of like, it's not what the DA says it is. <laughs> like, it's just not that. It's something, but it's not that. Like, it's just not attempt murder. It's just not assault with a deadly weapon. It's just not criminal threats, right? Like, it's just, it's almost hard it's to- bad like, behavior. Some... It's bad behavior. It's just not a crime. <laughs> that was the theme. So, Martina, what kind of the, – the trial's coming up pretty fast in this case. What kind of trial prep are you doing? So the only thing I really did was send out the video because we had found – our investigator had found surveillance video that showed the interaction where Carlos had come out of his house. And that contained oh. so many different things that I think were really helpful for the trial. So we did try to get that enhanced because it was from about, I don't know, I'd say a couple hundred feet away. Okay. And what did the video show? The enhanced version? The enhanced version actually didn't do much good. Um, it just kind of cut in on it. But what you could see is that when Carlos came out of the building, so supposedly this is after he made all of those criminal threats and threw the rocks that, you know, almost caused the man to fall from the fourth story of the, the scaffolding to his death. Carlos then allegedly ran out of the building, you know, angry and aggressive and approached the um the painter because the two alleged victims were the painter and the four person okay and supposedly carlos like we talked about earlier had grabbed a rope approached the painter and tried to put the rope around the painter's head and this was according to both the painter and the four person but what the video actually showed is that carlos comes out of the building he kind of meanders back and forth for a little bit on the opposite side of a pickup truck. So you can't really see what he's doing over there. You can just see the top of his head. And then he kind of goes to where uh, the scaffolding ends, back to his door and then back to the scaffolding. And then he comes around to the front of the pickup truck. And the pickup truck is where the four person is seated. And the painter who had been on the scaffolding is a couple of feet in front of it. And you see Carlos come up to them and, and he's closer to the painter and they're they're clearly kind of arguing back and forth. And then at some point you see something in Carlos's hand and then he just walks away. That's it. And what I oh. thought was super interesting about all of that was that the four person during all of this is just standing there casually with his like arm draped over the driver's side door watching this all go down. He's just hanging out in his car, huh? Really quick, no big reactions. Just watching. So then, uh, and then what? And Carlos just, you said he just walked away? Yeah. And, you know, according to the police report, it said, like, he ran back to his apartment, you know, after he had, like, tried to strangle this man. And then, you know, the video just shows, like, Carlos kind of pushes the rope in their direction, maybe, or... And the, um, and the guy in the car is just kicking it. He's just hanging out. Just, just chilling. He's got one, you know, foot kind of up on the what is it like the wheel well of the truck? And his arms over the door, and then you can see in his hand, he's holding a phone. So I don't know about you, but if one of my coworkers was going to be strangled and I had a phone in my hand, I'm probably going to call the police. <laughs> as, I feel like as public defenders, some of the things that when we look at videos, you can tell a lot by the reaction of the other people. Like when there's no sound, sometimes, you know, when the gunshot happened, because you know, when everybody freaks out. hundred percent. So, so the video looks, sounds pretty good for your case then. Well, we thought it was, 
they're saying that he tried to strangle the tie a rope around the dude's neck, right? So what was great about it is it, you know, if I'm screaming at people to to leave, stop painting, and I'm upset and I want them to leave, I'm gonna want them to take their stuff with them, right? So this is Carlos, you know, my argument was Carlos was just picking up their stuff and like giving it back to them. Take so, your stupid rope and get right. out of town. Take your <laughs> shit and get out of here. Take your rope and you just go. <laughs> Which would make sense with the way that he was behaving, right? He's like pushing it in their direction. He walks away. Like this is not him trying to strangle somebody. And what Alona said about, you know, looking at the reactions of everyone else around, I forgot about it, but there was another guy who was across the street watching it and he was on a motorcycle. And it was interesting too because he stopped to watch. But again, never intervened, never got on his phone, never had that like moment of surprise that you would expect if somebody was being strangled. So Martina, um, when wasn't there uh, something about like when you got sent out to trial, maybe the ogre was in a different trial or something? Is that Yeah, he was in a trial with another one of our coworkers in a uh, PC-69 um, Resisting. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. He I loves those. He does. He does. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I was looking forward to doing the trial with him specifically. I thought it was going to be hilarious. But I ended up getting up someone else who's now no longer with the office, with their office. All right. Well, tell us about that. You get sent out to trial and what happens there? Once we get sent out, now we got a great pull on the judge. Uh, the, the, that judge that we got sent out to is an ex public defender very smart, um, kind of low patience, you know, it would have been great. Him and the ogre would have just bit at each other's throats. Um, this other DA that took over, who's no longer with their office, also was probably a good combination with that judge because he's just the kind of judge that likes people who are more prepared. Like he's always going to pick the party that is more prepared and understands the law better. Right. So we were there and I was hoping that he would kind of push them to do the right thing and dismiss. He didn't. We just kind of immediately started. But you hope the judge would have dismissed you you wanted the judge to dismiss tell them to dismiss the case. Yeah, I thought he might, you know, agree with me that this was a waste of taxpayers' dollars and you know, encourage them. (laughs) No, hope springs eternal. It never worked. (laughs) I mean I could see a universe in which it's possible. Things are funny up here sometimes. <laughs> and this just this seems so silly. Um, and we, we knew Carlos wasn't going to budge, right? So when we're, when we're having our conference right before the trial, I'm saying, look, there's no deal that Carlos will take. Zero. Like, he won't take a misdemeanor. So if anyone's going to bend, it's got to be them. Um, like, let's be honest, the, no one was even scratched. No one was harmed in this at all. So I was hopeful, but it didn't work. Need the people of San Francisco to do the dismissal for you. Right. So what happens at trial? The DA talks a big game that day one. He's not going to dismiss. There's no universe in which he's going to do that. And then he comes in on day two and dismisses. Oh, (laughs) all right. There you go. Nice. That's always always an interesting thing in your life when you're all ready for trial and then there's no trial. I know. You have like a a free day of whatever, you know, like – why did the DA dismiss? He didn't really have a good answer. 
Um, yeah, I thought it was because to. he didn't want to try it. He wanted the ogre to try it for him or something. Maybe. Yeah, but, but he he couldn't put that on the record, right? Like the real deal was that that DA knew he already knew. We didn't know it yet, but he had already gotten another job. He had one foot out the door. He didn't want to try it. He he pulled the sh- you know the short straw and got forced out to do this. So he just wanted out. He was not going to jump the grenade for the DA's office on this. No, he certainly wasn't. And I think he just, you know, maybe went home that night, decided he was definitely going to take the other job and, you know, and did it anyway. Because I'm sure that the ogre told him not to do it. So, okay. So the DA dismisses and what? Carlos goes home. Case, we done? No. Oh, gosh, no. So our our listeners don't know that they just refile them, you know, like dismiss and then refile. It comes, it just starts all over again. So, yep. Two bites of the apple. Well, tell tell us about the dismissal, though. What happened uh, when the DA said he's going to dismiss? And was there a discussion about the refiling with Carlos? Oh, yes, there was. Yes, there was. So Carlos, at this point, is really on an emotional roller coaster, right? He's ready for trial. He got the dismissal. I had to explain to him because clients don't often know the two dismissal rule either. So I had to explain, no, 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 that just means we're starting over. (laughs) We're going back to square one all the way over. Now, Carlos is in the middle of the courtroom screaming at me, fuck that. I'm not fucking starting over. I am not going to fucking do it. And then so the judge decides in his infinite wisdom, he's like, well, you can waive your prelim and you can just start after prelim, sir. And Carlos says, that's what I'm going to fucking do. I'm like, oh God, no. No, 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 no. So Carlos and I are just like openly brawling in court. I'm like, you cannot give up your prelim. Like just screaming bloody murder at each other. Until eventually I convince him, okay, fine, you can waive notice on the refiling, but we're not waiving prelim. I eventually won that battle. Eventually Carlos agreed to to refiling with the, and having a prelim, um, what happened and afterwards? You guys go back in the lockup and have a conversation? Oh, my gosh. This was the, the first moment I think I really saw, like, what a kind of complex man Carlos is. Because after, like, screaming at each other, and I'm so embarrassed, right? I'm screaming in front of this judge who barely knows me and the DA. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like. Everybody thinks that my client hates me. So I go in the tank and I'm like, fine, you're going back to Roberto. I don't have to do this. I'll be back from vacation. That was the only reason I took <laughs> I just had this. You're going back to him. And Carlos bursts into tears. Like, so here is this big, long-haired, you know, buff native man who you never would expect to cry. And he is just bawling. And he's like, but you can't leave me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Carlos. (laughs) And it just broke my heart. I mean, that's Carlos for you, you know? He just really has a a total range of emotions at all times. He's a very sensitive man. He really is. All the emotions that he does. He's not afraid to express his feelings. But, you know, the, the more I, that I got to know that about him, though, right? So it was the first real moment that I saw that, like, he he just gets angry sometimes, but he also he just feels things deeply. Um, and I think it really it went a long way for me to understand how to talk to him and how to work with him and, like, what he needed, you know? Like, it that it was definitely... That's just how he, that's how he expresses himself, right? He's a passionate person. Exactly. And- his interaction with the construction workers next door was just a passionate exchange. Exactly. I mean, that really is it, right? Like he and I kind of in the same way, right? Like there's times where I just get like 
excited about things and it might sound like I'm yelling, but that's just my voice. <laughs> and that's kind of Carlos too, right? He's expressive. He's expressive with his hands. He's expressive with how he talks. Um, and I just think it was a really I good might, moment. I might argue that was the breakthrough in your relationship that you needed. 1000% it was. <laughs> Not to say there weren't challenging moments and Matt can attest that there were more challenging moments, but it was a moment. But yeah, it was definitely the breakthrough. Wow, Martina, thanks for sharing that challenging moment as a public defender. So at this time, I'd like to introduce uh, my good friend, Dr. Shannon, a naturopathic doctor and CEO of B12 Love in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Uh, Dr. Shannon, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having us on today. We're um, really excited to be a support for the show and um, excited to extend our B12 Love services uh, to the public defenders in the Bay Area. So, What is B12 Love? We're a business. We provide vitamin and nutrient injections um, to the general population. It's our mission to make those accessible. So uh, you don't need a prescription. It doesn't interfere with any medications. And so if you're looking for, you know, an energy boost, some things to combat stress, uh, some support for weight loss, some immune support, support for musculoskeletal issues, you know, we have solutions for just all the different needs and, and stress in people's lives that they might need to combat. So... And, and Dr. Shannon, how many different locations in the Bay Area is B12 located? Yeah, so we're at um, seven locations currently. So we're in San Francisco, the Marina District. Uh, we have two new, two new locations in the North Bay. We're in Mill Valley and Novato. We're in, in the East Bay. We're in Walnut Creek, Livermore, and Piedmont. We're in, we have a location in South San Jose. And our newest location is actually going to be opening up in Napa. So I just always want to say that, you know, especially during COVID, that life can be really challenging and especially with really stressful jobs. I know as public defenders that you're on all the time. You never get a day off. The stress really never goes away. But um, just know that there's resources out there that, you know, vitamin and nutrient therapies can be a really great benefit for stress, anxiety, just the consistency of energy that you really need, the brain power to just endure, you know, endure the hard jobs that you have every day and to fight the good fight. So thank you for all of your hard work. And um, for us at B12 Love, we'd love to be a bigger support for the population. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you, Dr. Shannon. I miss you guys. <laughs> I miss you too. <laughs> all right. Check out B12 Love, guys. Thank you. Why Why did you want to do the not wave prelim? Like, Because if, if he goes, does a direct file, then are, are you concerned about the attempted murder coming back? Or well, that was part of it, right? Because we beat the attempt murder on the 995. So if you stipulate to the refile on the information, then is it the information post 995 or pre? Because if you're actually looking at the document itself, it still had the attempt murder. And so the DA off the record tells me, no, no, we don't intend to refile the attempt murder. Um, and he kind of assured me and the judge of that. So that was one concern, but the bigger concern, like everybody knows is like, you do a prelim different than anybody else. And you want as many chances as you possibly can get when it comes to lay witnesses. And I do things differently than Roberto for sure. So I definitely wanted to, to get a, you know, crack at the two witnesses. All right. So let's, let's talk about the refile. Take two action. What happens? Uh at the next prelim? 
so the next prelim, um, and I think this is, you know, I think for lay people or non-lawyers, when we say this, it sounds kind of distasteful. But one of the things that I'll do during a prelim is I kind of really want to test the waters. Um, and so I kind of turn on a certain persona, right? Maybe not, maybe not as pleasant or nice as I would be in front of a jury. Um, to kind of see how that witness will react to me, to my tone, to my questions. And so the four person this time testified. And okay, the guy in the car. Right. And so he's the boss. He's Irish um, from Ireland, heavy accent. And he clearly does not like me. <laughs> he clearly does not like being asked questions by me. He wants nothing to do with me. Um, and once I kind of sensed that kind of level of like disdain for me and my like, you know, strong lady voice, um, <laughs> you know, you kind of turn up the heat to see what he's going to do. And it was clearly kind of getting under his skin. So at one point, you know, I was asking him about the photograph because there was a single still photograph. And he was like, well, I don't know. It came from a video. I'm like, well, interesting. What video? And so we got into this whole back and forth. But Wait, it turned... what is this photograph you're talking about, by the way? It's a single still photograph of what? So what you see in the photograph is the, and it's clearly taken from the perspective of somebody who's standing in or near the um, pickup truck. But you see okay. at the front of the vehicle, two men. And it's not their full body. It's just kind of their upper half. And you see the the painter's head turned towards the camera. And then you see Carlos, and you can make it out because you can see his arm tattoos. But you can't really see his face. But you see that he's holding what appears to be the rope in you know both hands, kind of stretched between two hands. And it's making contact with the painter. Maybe his, the back of his neck, maybe the back of his head. Hard to say. So presumably this photograph came from the foreperson, right? Presumably. But no one ever really discussed it. It was entered as an exhibit during the first preliminary hearing. And it was discussed by the painter. And he was like, yeah, that was the moment that he was trying to put the rope over my head. So, all right. So go ahead. Tell us about this preliminary hearing and your Talking about this photograph with the four person. So I'm trying to figure out where this photograph comes from. And so clearly this painter is not wanting to answer my questions. He's super irritated. He's so like over being there. And he's like, well, it just came from a video. And we were asking him like, well, what video? So well, the, the video that I took. What? So did you take a photo? And he was like, no, I pulled that. I pulled the video from, I mean, I pulled the photo from the video. Turns out he had recorded the entire interaction, watched it after the fact, and then went frame by frame, selected a frame, destroyed the video, deleted it, but kept that one single photo and sent it to the police. Ooh, wow. Right? Juries hate that. So I was like, <laughs> oh, God, this is the best. Um, and then so when I was pressing him on the questions, I was like, so why did you destroy it? He's like, well, my memory was full. I'm like, <laughs> But, but you had to create, so you, you watched the video and then you pulled the, the still frame or the, like the frame by frames and then you saved that. So you actually used an additional memory before you deleted. <laughs> uh, and he's like, that's not how phones work. And I'm like, well, I think it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Um, Can you tell me about your strong lady voice? Is that what you said? Yeah. You use your strong lady voice. What's what is Matt? What is that? Or are you, but Martina, what does that sound like? Can you tell? Can you do an impersonation or give us a taste <laughs> of your strong lady voice? Are you asking Matt to, for? No, no, I don't want Matt. To I was like, come on, like, he still has to work can, here. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can like, tell oh, you what she does. Matt takes. She places behind the council table, <laughs> takes off her jacket, forcefully puts her hands on the table, and then stares them dead at the eyes. <laughs> she does do that. There's a lot of with my creepy eyes, as the ogre said. Um, no, it's just this voice, right? I mean, maybe a little bit less nice. Like I, I, don't, mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't even do it, right? It's just. My voice is my voice. Yeah, it's loud. You, yeah. It's when you get it, frustrated with the witness or they're dodging the questions, the volume comes up a little bit and all politeness goes out the window. It's much. <laughs> it is super condescending. I will say I can feel myself being super con- like, oh, <laughs> tell me about how the video works. T- tell me about you. Oh, you didn't have enough memory? Really? Okay. Explain That's not that. what I'm asking you, Mr. <laughs> Uh, oh, no. So it looks like you were right in having the preliminary hearing because you got that juicy nugget from the, the deleted video that you did. Carlos was, did you like turn to Carlos and was like, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course I did. But would Carlos ever acknowledge I was right? Never. No. Oh, that's no. so Carlos. So Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> so then what charges were left after the preliminary hearing? After the preliminary hearing, this judge did away with the attempt murder, and he said, I'm doing away with all the the assault with the deadly weapons, all of them. Okay. He did hold on a felony criminal threat, and I wanted him to make a, a factual finding that it wouldn't, that the conduct that was described didn't rise to the level of an assault likely to cause great bodily injury, and he said, I'm not going to do that. So he left the door open for them to file 245A4s, the assault likely to cause great bodily injury, which they did, six of them, just to be spiteful. Oh, okay. So now you have so you have six felony assaults and one criminal threat as a felony. Right. So, all right. Um, do we need to talk about anything else before we start talking about the jury trial? Did we... Is there any other questions we want to add or do we miss anything? Well, the only thing I would say is that during that, that those two months, probably before the trial, um, the, you know, the DA on the case, the ogre and I, our relationship had definitely degraded if, if that can even be said. So at some point he's decided he's not talking to anybody. And I think Alona talked about this in her episode but he refuses to talk, to talk to us. So we could be standing in an open courtroom, you know, tons of witnesses. And you're like, when's our next court date? And he'll be like, send me an email. Like, could you just tell me, tell me the court date? He's like, nope, send me an email. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so at this point, I literally would be standing next to him and being like, I'm sending you an email. I'm standing right next to you. <laughs> I'm literally standing six feet away from you looking at you and you won't answer my question, but I just want to know what our next court date is. <laughs> so it had gotten super tense, but like I find this whole thing hilarious. He, I think found it less hilarious. 
Um, but by that time, the second trial rolled around. He, it wasn't like that time he was even engaged in another trial. He just had somebody else stand in. And it was never really oh. explained to me why. Oh, man. I know. Our, our viewers are so upset. <laughs> I was so upset. You don't want an other trial. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like Martina was trolling him and was really effective at it. And, like, I just, you know, I was never, like, I, she enjoyed it. I just didn't get into it that way. I was yeah. like, this is so painful for me. <laughs> I mean. But she's like, I love trolling him. <laughs> I, I don't know what other job I do, right, other than, like, this job. Right? I enjoy getting under people's skin. So it was. Especially when I get a reaction, it was awesome. <laughs> Great. Uh, okay, okay. So then, um, all right, let's talk about the second jury trial then. Yes. So we got sent out to the same judge that did the preliminary hearing. And I got to say, at that time, the pre presiding judge knew what he was doing, right? That presiding judge would always kind of orchestrate you getting sent out to the trial courtroom where he thought you belonged. And so the judge that I did the trial in front of was known for brokering deals, right? And just making trials go away and just kind of being a very reasonable middle person. Um, so I think it was very willful that we got sent to this, that same judge who knew the case, who knew the preliminary hearing, had kind of been vocal about how silly he thought this all was. Um, but the DA that had taken it over for the ogre was like, in no universe going to do anything to upset him. He was just one of the sweetest, kindest DAs I've ever encountered. I mean, probably not in the right job or in the right profession. Um, so nice. So, so nice. Terrified of the ogre. So we couldn't get it resolved. Does the ogre have some type of position in the DA's office? Is he like a senior district attorney or a, is he a supervisor actually i'll take this one he got fired on the new da's very first day in office that new da being chasa Bodine, a former san francisco public defender who is now the elected district attorney of san francisco chasa also hosts a podcast along with rachel marshall another former public defender now a progressive prosecutor called chasing justice a podcast about criminal justice reform through the lens of progressive prosecution check it out Anyway, I digress. So, all right. So you got your your trial. You're with the new DA. You're with the judge. That's good for brokering deals. And what happens? Obviously, Carlos isn't taking anything. There's no universe. In, and now, you know, we're we're another sixty days into this. So Carlos is justifiably even more angry about all of this. Um, and you know, not all of felony cases end up getting refiled and not all of them have 995s or motions to dismiss you know so carlos has kind of been through the ringer right if you combine alona's trial my two all the kind of procedural like works that's going into all of this all of the different court dates so at this point like there is nothing if if, if he might have been open to a misdemeanor resolution last time he certainly is not now um and he is pissed. So there was nothing. And um, we started jury selection. So by the way, is Matt, is Matt, is Matt there now? Matt's okay. there now. Okay, so Matt, you I get was on the actually case? at another hearing for another client for this motion we had been working on. I stepped out and our supervisor came up to me and just said, hey, I told you I'd get you on a trial. 
do you want to second chair a felony trial? And I said, yeah, of course. And he says, okay, jury selection starts at one or one thirty. And I looked down and it was 12 o'clock. So I got Martina's number, ran to her office and started reading the file. Cause it was on the desk. And next thing you know, about an hour later, I'm at jury selection. Okay. Tell, tell us about your, uh, your voir dire then. Um, I think early on, I am a big proponent of getting your theme and theory out there early and hard and making sure the jury understands it. Um, you know, judges often call it, quote, pre-trying your case. Defense attorneys will often tell you it is not pre-trying my case, but I need to absolutely make sure that the jurors are going to be open to my defense, right? Like, I'm not going to do a case where I'm saying, look at how ridiculously overcharged this is. This isn't what the DA claims it is. And I'm not going to be able to explore that with a juror and, and, and kind of probe whether or not there's somebody who's just going to take, you know, the the the, the DA's suggestion that these are the appropriate crimes, like, you know, at its base. So we we very much got into, like, the heart and, like, the meat of the issues right off the bat. Any particular moments or things you remember saying to the jurors, like particular questions or interactions? You know, this was one that when I'm trying to kind of convey, even though there's serious charges, you want to be respectful, right? Because jurors walk in and they feel that this is, an important kind of legal arena. But at the same time, he, with certain kinds of cases, obviously not homicide or rape or sex charges, you're, you're going to want to create a very different environment. But on a case like this, I wanted everybody to feel kind of like lighthearted and like this was ridiculous from the outset. So, you know, we were definitely like cracking a lot of jokes and um, I definitely try to do a lot of like kind of self-deprecating humor and san francisco juries are wild oh okay i mean everybody in there was like an engineer right <laughs> you know just like every single person in there uh, either has gone to college has gone to grad school and they're for the most part dude and and those engineers they go to burning man all the time they so i mean it, it, it's wild. it gets super wild <laughs> i mean no joke though probably if you were to do a drug trial in there and start asking around they're gonna know more than your experts but san francisco jury, they're like super liberal so you're really kind of dealing it was it was shocking to me coming from san bernardino i'm like wait what you don't like cops either that's amazing <laughs> i don't like cops <laughs> All right, so tell us about so – you, you picked your jury. Uh, time for opening statements. Tell us about that. Uh, opening statements. Um, I try to give a closing argument and opening statements every time. Um, you know, the rule is you're not supposed to argue, but I think we all kind of know I'm not here to just say the facts are going to show. Like, obviously, I'm going to shoot my shot. And so for that, um, in this case, that really meant playing the video as many times as humanly possible because the DA's just gotten up and given his whole statement about this like terrifying situation where this guy was on the scaffolding and he almost died. And then the strangulation and you're like, cool story, but that's definitely not what happened. Here's a video. (laughs) (laughs) That we talked about before, you know, like the good behavior, the bad behavior and criminal behavior, you're going to see a lot of that. Maybe we wouldn't like, but, you're not going to see any crimes. And how do we know that? Because the DA hasn't gotten you any evidence of this crime. We went out and got this video. We went out and enhanced it. 
we brought in an expert. They haven't shown you any evidence of a crime. And so that framing of everything, and I think you slipped in a little bit of the gentrification things. I don't know if I remember correctly. I think you slipped in a little bit of that in opening as well. And just that framing about everything set us up for the whole trial. Dude. All right. That's a great opening. Uh, all right. So then how's the evidence roll out? Who's the, uh, the prosecution goes first. So what do they, what do they put up? And typically they do, but because our, and um, I, this is like, if possible, I love doing this, um, taking an expert out of order. So because our expert wasn't available, uh, we got to put them on first. So we started the trial with our expert and then we shifted back to um, the people's case. There was a scheduling conflict. There was. Wait, right. are, are you talking about the expert for video enhancement or something else? For video enhancement. Yeah, we, we put Paul Endo on. Okay. Elona's <laughs> like, when you say expert, do you mean the video enhancer guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Paul. Paul is like, he's my favorite. I, I use, sure. I've hired him a lot. He's great. I mean, it was maybe not the most riveting testimony ever to start the trial. <laughs> wow. But I will say, Paul. I wasn't sure if there was another expert. In no, trial, no, no. It was, it was just Paul. But Paul is amazing. And as far as like a video enhancer expert goes, I mean, he's charming. He turns towards the jury. He works it. He does great with what, with what he can. But he just he just went up there and he said and it was just like okay here's this video and I enhanced the video and then you just played the video a couple of times right sure but I mean I'm also like trying to use it to be like and I asked you to find every last little detail that you could and look at all the angles and see if there was any other way that there was any other like evidence of this right so like it was definitely a big show to say like look we did everything we can to right. get you the whole truth. Um, all right. So then that's it. That was the video. You got to open up. You got to take the, the wind out of their sails a little bit, right? Because they're saying this big old drama of attempt or, uh, you know, of, of a tying rope around someone's neck and someone almost falling on the scaffolding. This big dangerous situation happened. You're kind of like, look, oh, here's the video. This is what really happened. Okay, DA, now you go with your version. Yeah. This is here. Okay, here's reality. Okay, now it's the DA. Okay, right. DA, you go with your truth. Right. You know, and then there's always that moment where the DA's got to figure out, like, do they use your video or not? You know, and you can see, like, the DA's little wheels spinning, like, do I ask her to borrow her video? No, no, I don't. No, I don't. Right. And so he ultimately decided not to use it um, and just kind of stuck with his game plan. So he puts, I think he puts the four person on first and then the painter, Ooh. which I thought was okay. a bad move, right? Um, because the four person was such a big personality. Um, and so clearly, like we talked about, how kind of had this axe to grind with Carlos. Um, and in the body-worn camera, he can really be seen telling the officers what happened. And every time the painter tries to tell them a little, like, tidbit, he'll just interrupt, talk over. You know, he's like, oh, well, this is what he saw, or this is what he felt. Like, so it was clear that he was, like, trying to kind of steal, you know, the show from the painter. The narrative. Totally steal right. the narrative, exactly. Um, but so, you know, the DA walks the four-person through kind of the facts as they want them to be. And like the fit for like the four person's got his charming Irish accent and he's so calm and he's making jokes and he's just this, you know, guy you would totally want to grab a beer with. 
And then all of a sudden I stand up and I now I've, I've morphed into trial me, which is much nicer, right? Totally different voice, different person. And you can just see like all of a sudden it's like this dark cloud just descends over his face. Like he's just like, this bitch is back. Oh, great. (laughs) Great. And and from the moment I start asking questions, it's like, he's hostile. He's pissed. He doesn't want to answer anything. He's talking to the judge. He's like, do I have to answer that? And the judge is like, yeah, you do. Sorry. So, you know, there was just a visual like shift in kind of his demeanor. And then we started going through, because I would ask him things like, well, you, you know, you really didn't let your coworker talk to the police, actually. Like every time the police tried to talk to him alone, you went with him. And so I got to play all of those body worn cameras, um, videos and kind of showed that he was totally taking things over and changing the narrative and like you know kind of ensuring that the police officers interpreted this as a much more violent event than maybe the painter ever would have said oh okay um matt do you remember any interesting interactions with the uh, four person yeah one of the more uh ridiculous things i've ever seen in a courtroom um so as martina is crossing him and just stumbling over his words he's trying to think his story's inconsistent you can tell the jury he's kind of losing the jury as well um eventually we get to the point of him taking the photo with the camera again and martina's like so you deleted it and just kept crossing him and making him just he didn't know what was going on at some point he asked the judge several times like martina said he asked her the the judge several times do i have to answer that and every time it was like yeah clearly and then at one point when he finally got to admit that like martina got him to admit that i think this was the point where he finally admitted that yes i deleted the video right he turns to the judge and goes he goes i want a lawyer (laughs) (laughs) i forgot about that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she's trying to get me to say this i want a lawyer (laughs) i mean over it is a crime to destroy evidence so there's that but you know martina wasn't there also like a phrase you were saying like oh if you don't understand let me ask or something about like if i i could ask again or i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to be combative or was there something you were I can't, I do always say, I'll say like, I'm so sorry. I, have I offended you? Um, yeah. if, if, if I've offended you in any way, I'm sorry, but I do, I'm just here to ask questions. <laughs> right. Cause your trial me is so nice and confused why you're so angry. Like, why are you so angry? <laughs> oh man. Um, all right. Good. Well, we're off to a good start then. The case is going pretty well. Who's the next witness for the people? I think the next up was the painter. Um, and that guy, you know, he, this is just like a genuine, hardworking dude who was up on a third or fourth story, you know, set of scaffolding that didn't have any railing, who got yelled at, you know? So it's like, okay, I get it. If I was on that scaffolding and someone was throwing something at me, I wouldn't be thrilled either. So. This was not the guy that I needed to hard cross. You know, I don't think I had a lot of questions for him other than kind of getting him to go through the body worn camera to show he never actually said to anybody that Carlos had said, I'm going to kill you. 
And eventually we got to the point where he agreed with me that he was interpreting that from Carlos's actions of throwing the rock and that those words were never actually spoken. And once I got him to admit that, I was out. Right. So he went into the trial thinking that your clients threatened to kill him. And then at the end of your cross, he was kind of like, you know what, maybe he never really said that. And I was just swayed by the by the four person and the police officers into saying that oh yeah right? no well and, and he didn't even agree so he conclusively said okay i never told anyone he said that he said that conclusively so by the end he's agreeing with me that he that he never told that he the painter never told anyone that carlos said i'm gonna kill you and we were trying to piece out where his belief might have come from right because i'm asking him i'm like look it's reasonable that if you're up there that you might feel like he wanted to kill you, right? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, so maybe like that was just how you were feeling? Like you're feeling like you wanted to and that's what you told the officer. He's like, yeah, that's I, that's what I think happened. <laughs> so it's like he had translated that feeling of intent because at one point he said, well, he was throwing rocks at me while I was that high. What else could he have wanted to do? And I think that was kind of the key to understanding Oh, this is what was happening in his head. He had shifted his beliefs into words. Across too, Martina, was you you got into you didn't see how big these were. You didn't see how close you never told them how closely the pebbles landed to you. Yeah. Anything about how hard he threw them? Did he just toss them a little bit or did he throw them with like, you know, some force? Well, and the other thing, too, was that the, they said that he got them out of that planter box out front, remember? And so these are like decorative little rocks that you put around the base of a tree. And they're all different sizes. So some of them were, you know, maybe um, two inches in diameter, but some of them were much smaller. So like that, it wasn't like such a silly question. Like if those were really the rocks that he was throwing, like some of them could have been as small as marbles. So none of, none of those rocks were ever like booked into evidence. They didn't recover any rocks or take pictures of any rocks or pebbles to say that these were the items he threw right no i mean can you imagine i mean i think the cops knew like what they were doing they they were i think in their police report or at least their like citation or when they were writing this up i think in their heads they must have seen the rope as the bigger issue because they didn't they they took some they took one single picture of the planter where the rocks allegedly came from but that was it no one bothered to like recover a single one what did you get uh the painter to say about the rope incident then well and this came out at the first preliminary hearing um roberto got him to say at the preliminary hearing he was like well describe what was what was the feeling and he's like well he was kind of bumping me in the back of the neck with it and so roberto was like asking him like where did you feel it on you? Um, was it, was there tension? Did it go over your head? So no tension, no over the head. And he just kind of stuck with that at the preliminary hearing. So I didn't have to really like make a big show of it. Um, but, you know, I got him to kind of agree with the word that like, it felt like a push because one of the things I was trying to like lead them to say was this is a push away. You like you push someone away. So he did agree with that. Nice. All right. So then uh, who's, Who's the next witness then? The the police? The police. police officers? Yeah. And these guys, again, you know, these are the guys that showed up at the scene of this dangerous rock-throwing incident with their huge, you know, less-than-lethal rifles out. You know, like there was like 10 of them, and they all had their rifles out, and they all knew Carlos, and it turns into this just, you know total you would think that there had been like allegations of like uh, carlos shooting a gun or something the way that they approach the situation 
But what was the point of their testimony? Good question. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. think the, the DA, I think, screwed up because if anything, you know, he just kind of used them to maybe he I guess he was trying to maybe impeach his own witnesses a little bit to say like, oh, these guys did say that Carlos had said he was going to kill them. But all it gave me the opportunity to do was play the body worn camera over and over and over again where it can kind of be seen that they are, you know, doing all these things that we would prefer they not do. Like they can't, you know, they were interviewing the four person and the painter together. They weren't separating them. They were engaging in leading questions. So, you know, if anything, the DA's choice to put them on the stand just exposed them to weakness. Um, okay, so the, the people rested, and that's it for the evidence? That's it for the evidence. The defense didn't put on any witnesses after. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh. At the 1118.1 motion. An 1118.1 motion is a motion the defense makes during trial at the close of the people's case, asking the judge to dismiss the charges that no reasonable jury could return a verdict of guilty for. So during that, we kind of rolled out our same argument that we made both in the preliminary hearing as well as in the 995. We're saying this is not assault likely to cause great bodily injury. Because remember, now the deadly weapon is gone. But it's a similar argument in the sense that this is just not the kind of conduct that rises to the level that we would say is likely to cause great bodily injury. Oh, by the way, look at the fact that there are no injuries. Like that in and of itself is a factor for the court to consider. And look at the fact that you didn't hear any evidence of force because it was force likely to cause great bodily injury. And you didn't hear any anything about the force that the rocks were thrown with or the force that he was pushed with the rope. Pebbles, yeah. pebbles. The pebbles, the pebbles. Um, yeah, and so the judge at that point agreed with us. And, you know, it was one of those times where you win something and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I won that. I mean, I, I believed in my argument, but for the judge to have taken that away from the DA, all we were left with was a single felony and one single misdemeanor of a simple assault. So those six felony assaults that could have been a decade in prison are now rolled into a single six-month misdemeanor. Wow. Just misdemeanor assault. And then what's the felony that's left? The criminal threats? The criminal threats. Wow. So feeling good after that, right? Yeah. Feeling pretty good. But you know, that criminal threats is the one that it sort of jumbles your brain sometimes as a defense attorney. You're like, oh, how do I tell people that? Because when we look at the elements, right, it's, that a threat was made of great bodily injury or death and the person was in actual fear and the person who made the threat intended it as such. Even though we had the painter admitting that he wasn't sure about Carlos saying anything about the killing, we still had all of those threats about the, um, if you, if you don't stop banging on my wall, I'm going to come up there and push you off. So it still it still was making me super nervous. So um, do you, what kind of case do you put on then? Do you put on defense? We don't put on a defense. Um, we just kind of get ready for closing. All right. So tell me what the closing arguments then. So 
I, this is my first trial in the office, right? And San Francisco is known for their long closing arguments, right? Like Jeff Adachi, if you had done a 10 minute closing would have fired you. Um, he's big on, he was big on PowerPoints. He was big on longer, you know, thorough closings. I come more from, you know, a school of thought of like, if it's a winner, I just get up and be like, yeah, I told you an opening. I said what I said, <laughs> you know, and then like sit down. I, I struggled with, you know, things came out, I think, better than I had hoped or as good as I had hoped. So I really kind of wanted to keep it short, but I also kind of wanted to do things in the spirit of the office that I had just been hired by. So it ended up being a longer closing argument, but we replayed the videos and just kind of talked about it again. But most of the research out there shows that, you know, your case is won and lost long before you get to closing argument, right? Like in some ways, excuse me for being crass, but closing arguments are essentially like defense attorney masturbation. Like no one's really even like caring, <laughs> you know, like you're just, it feels good for us. We're like, I love this moment. Like this is the stuff that like I started this job to do. Man, dude, the last, the last, the last trial I did, I lost, but man, my closing was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. You get goosebumps, goosebumps, but I, I can't tell you about, it can't, won't be on the show because we lost, but. <laughs> But that's the thing, right? Like, I love closing. It feels great. But, like, the research just really says, like, it's not that many cases that it makes a big difference on. Like, the, the diet. I think, I think they say it. The research even says that they've had their mind made up before the evidence. Just uh -huh. from, opening. Uh, opening. Just opening. from, like, Bois opening. jury selection. Yeah, Bois and opening. <laughs> so... Like, yeah, shoot your load in the beginning. You know, like. <laughs> Although you really can't convince me that that's 100% true. Like, a piece of me just never is going to believe no, that. I, no, that's when you got a lying police officer. They got to see the, the witness lie and stuff. And then, all right. So all so you're saying all this as a preface to what? You kind of just gave a closing argument that you just, whatever, or anything special about it? I mean, Do you remember? Probably not my best ever, right? It's not like yours where I'm like, that was amazing, goosebumps. But it was, it was good. It was solid. solid I thought it work. was great. I watched the closing. <laughs> I thought it was an excellent closing. I was very impressed. I had, you know, Martina was new to the office, so I was really excited to see her and learn from her, and I thought she was incredible. Aw, thanks. You know, but, like, kind of like your trial, that's the one where, like, you get to get on your soapbox and, like, be passionate and just kind of just, like, let your emotions bleed all over the courtroom and just, like, really have a moment. Um, and that's the stuff I love, you know. And, and I got to be a little indignant, you know, because part of it is, like, yeah, like, this is bad behavior. Like, no one's going to be, like, thrilled if someone comes out and yells at you because he's hungover and wants you to shut up. But at the end of the day, this isn't criminal conduct. So, all right. So then, talk about let's talk about jury deliberations. How long did they, did they uh, deliberate for? Oh my god! An hour? Not even. It was like it was it was like half an hour because we got back to the office and I remember we got in. We sat down um, and and my supervisor at the time was like, "They're not gonna have this." Was Friday and she's like, "They're not gonna have a verdict till Monday." There's no way. It's like four o'clock. They're gonna go home. And we get a call, and they're like, oh, you have a verdict. So one of the other supervisors, who shall remain nameless, called 
the head boss and was like, oh my gosh, can you believe Martina got a verdict so fast? It must be a guilty. We're going to have to get her training. I mean, poor oh. thing. To get a 20-minute guilty verdict, poor thing. Poor thing. <laughs> and everybody walks over with me. I, Alona, did you stay for this part? Uh, I did. I was there for the verdict. Because it was like 15 people. It was the most people I've ever had at a verdict in my life. Easily like like 12 to 15. Um, and it ended up being... Yeah, you're the hottest show in town. <laughs> it felt like it. Yeah. I was like, oh, all right. But you know, it's also like that new kid on the block. Like everybody wants to see. And the 20 minute, 30 minute verdict really did feel kind of shocking. I think people might have gone from moral support too. All right, so you, you show up the court, you got you got your posse with you, uh, the jurors come out, right? Jurors come out, you can never tell, I can never tell at least, I'm like trying to read their faces, and I mean, you guys know, that's like the worst seconds in your life. I, I can't, I can't put in words what it feels like, it feels like my hands are sweating, I want to throw up, my heart's on my chest, like... It's just the worst moments. And you're like scanning their faces, trying to see, are they smiling? Smiling people don't convict, um, you know. Or when they look at you, if they won't look at you. If they won't trouble. look at you, oh, they've convicted. And you're like, oh my God, they, they've convicted him. And they never walk in smiling, you know? So you're always like, this is it. He's going down, he's going down, this is it. Cool. So the jurors come out and what? They come out um, and you know, you've got the clerk who reads the charges and this time, there was only two, so it's not one of those, you know, informations where there are one of those jury readings where they go through like 20 different verdicts and it's just like never ending suffering. Like this is quick, two quick not guilties. Did uh, how how was Carlos's reaction? Oh my gosh, Carlos! Of course he burst into tears, you know, and it was just the most like genuine appreciation and relief and like vindication. Like it was just like bleeding out of him right because this has just been i mean imagine he's been in jail now for because he did not get out he didn't get bailed out because this was attempt murder and then it was still like assaultive charges so he's been in jail now for over half a year on this because with the dismiss and refile we're talking 90 days each round so over half a year and yeah. you know it's a lot it was just and back to that roller coaster of emotions thing, like the day before he had been, we had been in the tank and he's yelling at us. He's telling us we're not doing a good enough job. He's emotional. He's pissed off. He's scared to go into prison. And then they come back the next day and have that relief. And you could just see it all over his face. Yeah. And he was just weight lifted off his shoulders in tears. It was good. It was good. Also, Carlos really, really, really loves his dog. And so I one of the first things he said is he couldn't wait to be reunited with her. And he's like crying. He's like, I can't wait to see her. And I'm like, I get that. I really love my dog too. After the jury fell down, I totally walked over and was like, I put my hand on the I was like, so I told you she was good. You didn't mean, you know, I was like, uh, yeah. Man. Oh, and then he great. wanted That's to hug word. every juror. I was like, no, no, you can't hug him. He's like, I just really want to hug them. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's wrap it up. Um, you know, Martina, great job on the trial. This is a fun story, a fun trial. And, uh, you know, Matt, thanks for uh, jumping in and helping out mm -hmm. and give, giving us some extra stories there that 
we may have not heard or known about unless you were here <laughs> on the podcast with us. So that was cool. And Alona, thanks for co-hosting this. And uh, Martina, you are the star of the show. You are a public <laughs> defender. How long have you been a public defender for? Oh, gosh, 10 years now. And you were with a previous county before San Francisco? Oh, I've done the grand tour of California. I've been with Solano, <laughs> Monterey, San Bernardino, Contra Costa, the law clerk. I've been all over. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and and why why did you want to become a public defender in the first place? Um, I don't like bullies. You know, my job's to bully the bullies. So comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice and short and sweet. I like that. I like that. Um, but, you know, again, thanks for being on the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Another Not Guilty. Shout out to Daniel Mark, original A&G theme music composer, and Mike Grimm for the remix. And guess what? We'll be back in two weeks with Another Not Guilty straight from the trenches.